Hello everyone, Ryan Bailey here and you're very welcome to episode 15 of the Ball Talk podcast brought to you by our sponsor, Adapt Athletic Performance and Therapy. Please go over and give them a follow on Instagram by searching adapt underscore clinic to follow be greatly appreciated this episode's guest is dubliner kevin egan kevin is making a big in the u.s as a sports commentator and tv host and gives a great insight to his journey so far i hope you enjoy and let's get straight into the podcast i suppose kevin first of all you're very welcome to the podcast great to be here thanks for having me Ray. um for anyone I would have said it in the intro, but for anyone who does know who you are, Kevin, you're, a C- you're with CNN International and Fox Sport. Is that right? Have I got... Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I cover uh, mostly European football for CNN International, based in Atlanta. It's the main CNN news hub, and then there's a sports division there as well. And then I work for Fox Sports South, covering Major League Soccer matches, doing commentary. So, like, the, the main play-by-play, they call it here. So, the George Hamilton role, I always say, when yeah. I'm speaking to people from Ireland. Um, so yeah, that and, and also doing a lot of hosting for things like E-League and E-MLS and, and, and EA games now as well. And uh, yeah, so trying to diversify as much as possible. Yeah, and I, I think by now everyone will have realised where exactly in the country you're from as well. You reckon? <laughs> They'll have caught the I'm here 11 years, Ryan, so if you're, if you're saying to me I've kept my accent, I'm delighted. <laughs> I think you have, I think you have. They won't be saying you're from Sligo anyways, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Kev, I suppose to run through, you're, you're over in the States now. Um, you obviously are in the journalism field and me- media, all that sort of, sort of game, the game that I'm hoping to get into myself. Uh, where, did you, where did it all start for you? Was sports commentary something that you wanted to do from a small lad or did, was it something you acquired? I mean, what I wanted to do deep down, if you would have asked a 10-year-old me, was to kick the winning free in an All-Ireland football final for the Dubs. Uh, I probably realised, you know, I, I actually was playing the best football of my life, Gaelic football. At under 21 level, I was, no, I was 19, and I think I was playing the best football of my life, and I tore my cruciate away right. against Aaron's Isle. I'll never forget, the ball bounced up. I jumped about this much off the ground, like literally only a few inches, and um, caught the ball, but as I caught it, I laid it off to my buddy Andy best buddy from home who's since passed away. He died of a heart attack uh, back in 2010. And uh, fittest guy I knew. Anyway, but I, pa- I passed it off to Andy. And Andy and I had this great chemistry on the pitch. And I knew that I was quick enough to burn the cornerback that, I, that was on me. Not quick anymore. And uh, I'd go and I'd try and get it back off Andy. And whatever reason, I twisted my body and I hand-passed it to him. But my knee went one way because I was thinking I was going to go this way. And uh, as soon as it touched the surface, the, the cruise sheet snapped completely. And I had the surgery and the doctor said, look, you're out for a year. And I, I didn't really know at the time how long you'd be out with a cruciate. Uh, and he said, you're out for a year at least. So surgery is going to be in two months. Get yourself as fit as possible. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be out of playing football for a year. What am I going to do? Like yeah. at this point in my life, this is everything for me. Now in saying that, the Sunday game was an institution in our house every Sunday night during the summer. Match of the day was an institution in our house every Saturday night. Uh, if my dad would ever let me stay up when I was a, when I was a kid, sometimes yeah. it was after Lenny Henry, I'll never forget on BBC. I used to start at 10.45 and uh, he'd often let me stay up. I'm a Villa fan to watch the Villa highlights at least. And that I used to watch Des Lynham on, on Match of the Day or Michael Lester on the Sunday game and think that has to be the best job in the world. Yeah. Not only are you talking about the game, but you're talking to legends of the game. 
whether it be, you know, Pat Spillane or Colin O'Rourke or Joe Broly, or whether it be, you know, nowadays it's your, it's your Alan Shearer's Ian Wright's uh, Gary Lineker hosting. So it, it's just, it's a dream job. If you can go and get it, it's the most competitive industry you'll ever find because the reality is there's only one Sunday game host. That's Joanne Cantwell. Only one. So in the yeah. entire country of Ireland, if you want to be the Sunday game host, you've got to somehow take Joanne Cantwell off her Sunday game seat and you take it. And that's not an easy yeah. thing to do. So it's, uh, it's very competitive, but it's a lot of fun. And I think what happened to me then when I tore my cruise, sorry for going off on a tangent here, is yeah, um, the doctor said you're out for a year. And I said, I need to invest my time in something else. I need to be proactive here. I was 19, mad for going out, single, like just constantly chasing girls. And, and my focus was that, but I needed something else to take the place of football. Yeah. And I, I decided to go to as many TV shows as I possibly could. I was studying journalism at the time and broadcasting. So I went to uh, RTE and I just applied for every single show there was to be in the audience. And I got into questions and answers. Um, at the time, yeah. zero interest in politics, really. Zero. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sitting in the audience like an awful muppet, wondering what's going on, but I'm not even listening to what they're saying. I'm focusing on what the, the floor manager's doing. I'm focusing on the cameras. I'm focusing on the, 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 the kind of prompts that the host is getting at the time. Yeah. I just fell in love instantly. And I knew I was going to love it anyway, but when that red light went on and John Bowman was the host at the time and how he was so unbelievably serious, but then I'd go to other shows and I'd notice that the host would have better interactions with the audience. Mm. And it just became like a game in my mind. So much fun. So I, uh, I asked the floor manager that day, Johnny McGuigan was his name, now that I remember, I asked the floor manager, could I have a copy of the running order? So the show script, essentially. Okay. And in RD, and I didn't realize that at the time, I was only getting it to kind of show off and to have it and maybe bring it into the lecture in college and be like, look, I went and this, yeah. is, uh, this was the show that I went to nearly framed the thing and uh, I ended up looking at it and it had all the phone numbers of all the people that worked on the show. So the director, the producer, the editors, everything, their phone numbers. Couldn't believe right. it. Okay. Obviously, naturally the thing to do is, and I was so scared to do it, pick up the phone, the old landlines back in Rohini in Dublin with the long street, <laughs> they try and find a quiet room and I'd call and uh, I, I ended up calling the same guy twice. So I called spoke to several people they're like yeah just you know send in your they give me the usual stuff which was send your cv so you're sending your cv into a dark hole in donnybrook you don't know where it's going to go yeah. you don't you don't know if someone's going to get their hands on it i didn't have anything else to offer really I, I i did some work for like the north side people um and i had a lot of experience in different places like working at petrol uh like a petrol station like things like that mm. uh, and a lot of football stuff but so the the guy that i called back actually said to me you've called me already you know that you called me a couple of months ago um, and since then he said don't call me again but since then there's an agency that have been set up to uh to hire people to to make tea and coffee and i couldn't yeah. believe it. I'm like get in this is perfect i can make <laughs> tea and coffee i know who to do that so i called the uh, the production people they're called they're still there anyone listen to this get in touch with them the production people and i ended up uh getting an interview and the interview was to be a runner, again, making tea and coffee on the Olympics mm -hmm. in 2004. So I was 19 right. and I, I, I got the job. I don't know how I got the job, but I'll never forget. I was there like an hour early. I went to a cafe across the road. My hands were shaking, coffee's going everywhere. And uh, somehow I got the job and I, I was just in my element. So 
and, and from that in in the door it's everything because then you can kind of blossom from within you can you can get to know the names of all the directors producers on-air hosts you can yeah learn everything about every role and just study people. And there's always people that get these jobs that just want to have a laugh, that just don't really um, want to keep their eye on the ball. And if you go there and you get an opportunity to get in the door and you really study everybody, even if it's a job you have no interest in, if you figure out what's going on and why that piece of the puzzle is so important, that's going to stand to you later on in your career in some way. And you don't even know it yet, but it will. And so that's why getting the door, I think, at RTE was just so important. And then from within, I was able to um, eventually become a sub-editor, so you're editing the tape. So in that job, for me, I'm sitting next to Graham Sunis or Johnny Giles. Um, and my job, as they're watching a premiership match, was to log the game, and then they'd be pointing out things. Like, I'll never forget Johnny Giles telling me, uh, look at this kid here, he's only 16, and it was Cesc Clabbergas. And... He said, this kid is a genius. Watch him. And this coming from John Giles, one of the best midfielders to ever play in England, was it, was it, and the best for Ireland, was it was a big deal. So I'm looking at him, and I, and I just start asking questions. To him, what is it about him? What, what characteristics does he have, do you think? And he said one thing. Arsenal were playing Liverpool. I'll never, ever forget it. And he goes, I'm going to show you two midfielders here. Um, I think this kid is going to be better than Steven Gerrard. And I'm like, that's a big thing to say. Because Gerrard at the time was the boss for Liverpool obviously and in the Premier League but he said watch Fabregas and his head was constantly on a swivel and uh, they, they were playing it out of the back Arsenal and Fabregas is like looking for that little bit of space and he wants to receive the ball he knows where the pass is going and Giles was talking about his vision and his awareness on the field and he goes if Gerrard had that he'd be the best midfielder like around but he doesn't and then he showed me like within two minutes another clip of Gerrard and they were playing, and Gerard turned his back to the goal, and Gerard just started walking, and he started looking ahead. But maybe, maybe he was being overly critical. I don't know, but either way, it was eye-opening because it was something I'd, I'd never noticed before that yeah. Gerard would would turn his back to the ball and kind of just start strolling out, whereas Fabregas is always like wanting to take on that responsibility. Not that Gerard didn't. I don't want people to think I'm saying that about Gerard, but it, it was just eye-opening to be that young and be sitting next to a guy who was an, obviously an excellent analyst for a long time and an amazing player. Yeah, and like. Look, he looks at the game in a different way as well. Like in terms of, when you look at Fabregas and Gerrard, the first thing you think of is goals. Naturally, with every player, you think of the goals they score, or if it's a keeper, the saves yeah. they've made, or something like that. But like yeah. for him to look in a different way, and as you said, you kind of acquire that now and, and bring it into what you're doing as a yeah. as a sports commentator. Well, I ended up I ended up becoming years later uh, in 2012, 13. I ended up becoming the analyst. So, like again, the, the the there's the George Hamilton and there's the Ray Houghton. Like I ended up being like the Ray Houghton commentator for the Chicago team in MLS on like uh, Comcast Sportsnet, the station there. And then I'm like, wow, how how have I just all of a sudden ended up in this position? Um, but I. Uh, it was a lot of experience from sitting next to like Sassoonis and Giles that made me think about the game a little bit differently. And I picked up more than I could read in any book from those two guys, just chatting to them and watching everything but the ball. You know, like you're, you're looking for trends. You don't want to dive in on a player if he makes one mistake, but if he makes two and then he makes three, well, then you're like, okay, there's a trend here. There's something consistent about this. Um, and, and they were they were superb and it just taught me so much. And it's actually interesting you say that about Sunes as well, because Sunes gets a, he's a man who gives a lot of criticism, but he gets a lot as well. 
a lot of people don't like the way he goes on, especially his set on Paul Pogba for some reason as well. Did he teach you things? Did he teach you things though that you have brought into your into your career? Like yeah, I, I, bad things to say about him for you. Well, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you the biggest thing he taught me, Rain. Never judge a book by its cover, right? When he came into work in RTE for the 2006 World Cup, I was a researcher. That was a big break for me, by the way, getting a job as a researcher instead of a runner for the 06 World Cup alongside Owen O'Callaghan. And uh, Owen and I were, were, were still very good friends and um, had the best of times. But Sunus came in. Everybody was afraid of Sunus because Sunus was seen as this hard-nosed, like, like tough tackling midfielder, but also a class ball player, but also just a guy who wasn't willing to give Irish guys breaks at uh, a club management until yeah. Damien now I never wanted to believe that and people were trying to read into that sort of stuff but what you, you want to give a guy a break and, and get to know him a little bit now obviously he's the he's the on-air uh, talent as they'd say in America and and you're only a researcher so you're not really going to get to know him too well however he came in and he couldn't have been nicer could not have been nicer to the point where by day two or three the runners are having the crack with him and there was a guy pouring Nugent uh and Porig said to him one day, like, hey, Graham, all the production staff against you guys in a five-a-side will destroy you. And he was getting brave, Porig, and he said it to him and stood up. He's like, I'll break your legs in that five-a-side and we'll also win the game. And he was, he was joking, but it was just the way he went into character straight away, like, he's, like he is on TV. Yeah. It was just so cool to see and to, get, to kind of get to know him a little bit. Like, if I saw him now, he wouldn't know me at all. Um, but back then, I was, I was, a, I was what, 20, 21, and... Um, it was just such a it was such a cool time to get to kind of know a guy like that yeah and then so you're with RTE and you're doing the analysis and stuff like that did you how was that as high as you got in Ireland in terms of journalism before you went over to America well I, I got a chance to go on air with uh, do you remember TTV it was this it was this thing you probably you probably won't so they had this show uh, like it, it used to always be like these used to be like five minute segments um, between like The Simpsons and Home and Away and on uh, on Network. Is it RT2 now or Network 2? RT2, RT2, yeah. RT2, yeah. So it'd be between like shows at say five and six o'clock in the evening. They'd have, they'd have the entertainment guy, the sports guy, the movie guy, the fashion, uh, the fashion guy. So you'd have like different lads and ladies that would swap out in these roles. And I was a sports guy for about a year, year and a bit. And that was ridiculously cool. And I couldn't believe I had the chance to audition for that. And then I got it. And I'm like, I shouldn't be on this. Like uh, the first time I ever did it, I'll tell you, they had like a viewing party in my house, my whole family and everyone sitting around. And I, they were all like, Hey, you did great. And I'll never forget. I was talking about, um, I was talking about club championship football. I was talking about, you know, a team in Armagh against a team from Cork. And I'll never forget, like, I rehearsed the lines in my head so much that it just, for me, it, I'd hate to see it back now. I'd hate to see it. But at the time, they, my family were supportive and saying, you were great. I reckon I was awful. But yeah. I, I, I kept doing it for a year or so, and then I got really comfortable and confident doing it. And it's like anything in life. Like, once you get a chance to, to keep doing it, you're going to get better. And then I moved into radio. So I was a, I was a 2FM Radio 1 sports broadcaster for for a few years like right, two, or, two or three years I was doing all the bulletins and um first time ever on the news at one if you have time for a quick story I I, I couldn't believe I got an opportunity to, to to host the sports news 
on Radio 1. It was a one o'clock news with Sean O'Rourke. And this is a daunting job, Rian, because you walk in to, it's the TV building in RT and there's the radio building. And it takes a few minutes, to be honest, to get across from radio to TV. And yeah. usually you walk in and it's the presenter, Sean O'Rourke, who's, who's magnificent. Uh, lovely fellow, serious at his job, obviously. So you walk in and there's usually politicians sitting around a round table in this yeah. room. And then you've got to walk in and read the sports news. And at the time, reading the piece of paper just seemed like a big deal for me. It, you know, I just didn't want to fluff my lines in any way. So I'm walking across and I nailed, I nail it. The first day I, I was delighted with myself. I walked away. My dad was listening. My granny was listening in Dublin and, and, and well done. So I didn't want to tell anyone else I was doing it. And sure enough, Sean O'Rourke sent a note to my boss at the time, Declan Bennett, and said, get that guy to do it again tomorrow. He did really well. Declan says, fair play to you. You're on again tomorrow. I'm buzzing, Rian. I couldn't believe my luck. Yeah, I'm back yeah, doing yeah. it again the next day. And sure enough, the next day, I get my scripts ready. There's a thing called iNews. I, I, I have them all in the system, and I'm, I'm logging different sports stories as they go. And I print out all my, my scripts. And at the time, stupidly, I had like every sport on a different page. So I'd start with the, the first story, actually, was a GAA story. Aidan O'Mahony had, had failed a drug test. Uh, he had yeah. too much sambutamol in his system, stuff you substance you get from an inhaler. And I was walking across the RT campus. Let's say I'm on it. Let's say I'm on it like 120. It's 110. I'm buzzing. I'm over there in two minutes, three minutes. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Yeah, just going across to do the sports news. One o'clock news, you know, no big deal. And uh, I'm only, I'm, I'm like 21. Uh, so I'm, I'm chuffed at myself. And I'm walking across and I'm just doing one final check and I realize, oh no, I'm after forgetting the golf story. What am I going to do? So at that point in my head, being relatively green and inexperienced, I said, well, there's option one and two. One is I go over and I just do the sports news and I say nothing about the golf and hope that nobody says, where was the golf news? Yeah. It was Bridgestone Invitational in Ohio. Or option two was go all the way back which was a bit of a trek, like I said, I'd have to run, print it, you have it scripted out already, grab it and sprint back. And at the time I was fit and healthy and well able to do it, so I did it. I said, you know what, go, 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 go. Ran, uh, printer was out of paper, couldn't find paper. I'm, I'm like scrambling big time. Now, I'm, I, the fear is setting in as I tell this story. That's how vividly I remember this. You're just reliving it now. Oh man, finally I got things <laughs> off and I am, and now let's say I'm on a, this is it. Like I said, it's, it's about a six minute walk across and it's, I get the paper and it's like one eighteen, and I'm sprinting out of the building and I'm this new kid as well. Like realistically, you shouldn't be sprinting in a building and I leg it out and I'm running across the campus. <clears throat> I go into the TV building, the main reception area, go up the stairs, use my key pass in the go. And I open the door to the, to the radio one, uh, the news at one studio and the producer Bernadette is there and she says, quickly, Kevin, you're on, come on, let's go. And I, I burst into the studio. And as I open it, Sean O'Rourke is there with politicians again. And he says, uh, and now let's go to the sports desk here. Joining us in studio, Kevin Egan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> disaster. Absolute disaster. Oh, God. <laughs> footballer, Aiden, Aiden O'Mahony, has failed a drugs test. And I talk about the Sambutamolin system and I am, I am praying that the ground will swallow me up and nobody will ever see me again. It was oh, that. God. And I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't even get to the second 
sport. I didn't even do it because I was so oh. embarrassed at that point. I, I, I did the rest of that story. I think Sean interrupted me at one point to help me out. And he said, oh, sounds like you could use a bit of that salbutamol, Kevin. And they all laughed. And it's, it's, a, it's a proper nightmare. Like for any young broadcasting student or, or a professional like yourself, it's a nightmare. And uh, I left and I put my head down. I burned out, didn't even say anything. And I walked out and I got a text off Darren Frell. You know Darren Frell? And I got a text off yeah. Darren Frell on RT Sport. And Darren uh, is, is a brilliant broadcaster himself. And he just texts me and he says, it's gone. Forget about it. He heard it live, obviously. And he said, are you okay? And my dad then called me and said, what happened? <laughs> it was that bad. So I think the moral of the story here is, and sorry for going off on a big tangent again, but the moral of the story here is in any crossroads like this in your career, or in a moment where you think there's a panic and, and a drastic situation, I thought there was option one and option two. The reality is there's a path somewhere, there's a dirt road that you can take that'll get you to where you want to go probably quicker and with a better solution that I didn't take. And, and the simple answer there was walk across, you're there really early, and just ask Bernadette, can you jump on the computer and go to pga.com and just see where that young Irish golfer is in the leaderboard? And then you know that this player is on five under uh, after nine. And, that, and that's all you need to give. And at least you're giving up. To, oh, by the way, the golfer at the time was, I think, a 17-year-old by the name of Rory McIlroy. So uh, it, turns, it turns out that... Story is kind of funny now, but at the time, I, I thought it was going to derail my whole career, and the reality was most people laughed, and I was able to get on with it. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you gave a bit of a motivational message there, because there'll be a few aspiring journalists kind of like, geez, no, I might be a teacher after this. <laughs> might change the career path. But so that was that, that was just before or around the time that you, were you considering going to America around that time or? Yeah, I, th I think so. Like, like I said, I was 21, 22 around the time that that happened. And I was doing the, like the radio and TTV and I, I was still working on the Sunday game and uh, premiership. Everything was going well. But, you, you know, the moment you settle on any job is the moment you failed, I think. And you, you have to always see a path for yourself and also a life path. And ask yourself, is there something else I'd like to do before, say, for example, my career really does take off in a different way and I'm offered a job that I can't refuse? One of the big things I wanted to do, I traveled Australia, I traveled most of Europe, I followed football and gone to different Ireland games. Um, but I really wanted to work in America. I really wanted to, to, to just get my feet wet and just get in and, and, and get some experience. And part of the inspiration for that was that Glenn Killain, who's the who's now working with the European Broadcast Union, he was the former head of RTE Sport and then the former head of RTE. Okay. And Glenn, at a really young age, left RTE to go to ITV and got some great experience at ITV and came back and he actually skipped a few steps of the ladder because he had experience elsewhere. And I was convinced that that was the best thing that I could do was, was go, I was, I was 23 when I left, I arrived in America the day Barack Obama was inaugurated. Right. Go get in somewhere, get some experience in the US. My mother's from Chicago, so I have a passport. Uh, make use of it and, uh, and go back to RTE and skip a few steps of the ladder and be presenting the Sunday game by the time I was 25. That was the goal. <laughs> I'm only joking. But that was, that was honestly, like in my thought process, was if I can get experience on air abroad and learn and maybe bring back a different perspective, it could, it could take me places. So yeah. I'm, uh, I left and here I am. 11 and a half years later, still in America. Yeah. And 
going to America, did you find yourself being Irish? You have that bit of an alternative, obviously the, the voice, you've got something different that you can offer. Did you find that worked in your favour or did, did it make any difference at all? Uh, if anything, it went against me at the start because, you know, you go away and you think RT is a big deal. RT is nothing. Like, mm. you, you go into places and you say, I worked at RTE, and obviously they have no idea what you're talking about because it's an Irish national broadcaster. Ireland's an incredibly small country. Yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful broadcaster. RTE taught me so much, but the reality is I was working on the Sunday game in the premiership, and I go into Chicago, and I'm looking for a job in sports media in Chicago when it's all about the Bears in NFL. It's all about the Blackhawks in, in, in hockey. It's all about the, the Cubs and the White Sox in baseball and the mm -hmm. Bulls in basketball. The Chicago Fire, relatively insignificant um, in the Chicago market. So I found myself questioning my decision fairly quickly, I think. Probably, you know, four or five months in, I'm still trying to stay in touch with RT Radio. I'm still doing the odd report for RT Radio from America. I tried to learn how to edit, and I found this software, and I had a terrible computer. And I found myself just starting to, like, enjoy my enjoy my life too much as well, aside from career aspirations I was going out too much probably not enough some might say and uh, I was just having fun I met my wife after a week of being in America can you imagine that? like I went over single never really had a girlfriend in all my life like just like a few month things uh, yeah. relationships here and there but never met anyone like Meg and then I met her and and I was I was I was done like I knew three that four days and I'm like I'm if, if she's happy with me I'm I'm yeah I'm, I'm hooked so uh you know, it was it was scary because about seven months in, I remember thinking, what am I going to do here? Like, I can't do anything else. This is all I, I care about. It's what I love doing. And I kept going and kept going. And I kept knocking on all these radio station and TV uh, network stores. And they all had my CV. They all had been pestered by me. And eventually, eventually I got really lucky. Uh, Jackie Hurley, who works at RT now, yeah. Jackie had said to me, there's a friend of mine, an old roommate of hers, who is working now at a network in Chicago called the Big Ten Network. It's a Fox College sports station. So covering like college, American football, college basketball. It's a big deal. And uh, her name is Lisa Cornwell. And Lisa, I, Jackie just basically sent a note to Lisa being like, this guy might contact you if you can help him. You know, he's a friend. And I, uh, I pestered Lisa and Lisa was, was slow at the start getting back to me. And like, I used to watch her games when she'd be commentator hosting. I used to wait till she got off air. And then I used to send her a text afterwards being like, great show. <laughs> I, was, I was that guy, like trying not to be annoying, but I tried to do it when I knew she'd have less on her plate. Yeah. And eventually she agreed to meet me for a coffee. And I met her for a coffee right next to the network. And I made sure, obviously, if anyone's listening to this, that plans on networking, make sure you always pay. Never let someone pay when you've asked them to go for something. So I, brought, I bought her... Uh, a little bit of lunch and a coffee and we had a chat and we actually got along really well. She kept her cards really close to her chest at the start, but then it seemed to loosen up a little bit. And, and she said to me, look, would you like to come into the network and I can show you around another time? And I said, please. Yeah. And I've since actually contacted her recently enough. I hadn't talked to her in about eight years and contacted her to show her the emails. And I just said to her, I just want to say thank you again for, for taking a shot and even just showing me around. And she, yeah. she said it was, I didn't even think about it. You, you did everything yourself. I was like, no, you didn't. You opened the door for me and allowed me to walk in. So she showed me around. And the first guy I met when I walked into the Big Ten Network was a guy named Bob, who 
said, he was this jovial, bubbly character. And he said, who's your team? And I said, Aston Villa. And as long as I didn't say Man United, I felt like he was going to help you out. And a big Arsenal fan. And he, he eventually somehow got me in as a graphics producer. So okay. a few months of chatting to Bob back and forth and just, just trying to get in. I, I got in in August of, August of 2009. So I was, I was, what, eight months pushing for a job. And I got in in August 2009 as a graphics producer, five days a week, working on college football shows. Now, I got thrown in my first day, Rian, was on, it was on a non-conference college football day. So there were 12 Big Ten teams, like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, like massive, massive, massive games. Like these stadia would have 100,000 100, people, 110,000 people at the big house in Michigan watching these games. And my job was to produce the graphics at the bottom of the screen during the studio shows. Okay. And Rian, I'm telling you, like I looked at these, they call them box scores, like the stat sheets that would get released straight after the games. I'm like, what's a TFL? Tackle for loss. What's a and I'm 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 in this position in a in a live environment where people are screaming and shouting and I'm sinking again. I had one of those Sean O'Rourke radio moments again where I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. So, I'm so you're doing back. this, your your first experience actually seeing all this TFL stuff is when you're live. Like I, I looked it up and I tried to research, but nothing prepares you for the moment that you're live. And they threw me in the deep end and I was, um, it was tough. Yeah. I, 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 a guy, John, that was helping me out there. It was such a great help, but I had two, two ladies that were to my right and left that were working on these graphics machines and I'd have to, I was their boss. And now I'm, I'm 24 at the time. And I'm there technically telling them what they have to do and in the nicest way possible because I needed their help. And uh, they're, they're building the full screen graphics, the lower third graphics. And I am just absorbing everything that I possibly could at that moment in time. And I remember walking out after that first day and thinking, I'm, I'm cooked here. No chance they're, they're going to have me back. And I heard the lady speak and saying, if that kid is back in again, he's going to bring us a, a quick death. And because I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't. I didn't know, like I had done graphics in Ireland, but it's, it's completely different. And yeah. the way they save the material, the way they repurpose graphics, the way they churn out things at such a rapid rate, like the shows in America are just churn, churn, churn. And in, order, in Ireland, like you look at the Sunday game, and they've got these beautiful curated um, montages. You get some of that in America, but it's more like, how do we get stuff out quicker? Um, yeah. And I found myself sinking and luckily enough, just, kept shredding water and then eventually I started I started floating and, and, and everything was fine and, and, and one thing led to another and that network I, I actually had a guy I recently told the story for a first time I never told it before I told it on American radio that there was a guy there who wouldn't put me on the air because of my Irish accent and uh, yeah like you asked me is it is it a plus it can be both that's the truth like I've probably had a lot of breaks because of maybe being Irish, who knows? But this guy flat out told me, he led me on for so long. And he eventually told me that, um, I said to him, look, can we have an honest conversation here? I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've, I've, I've commentated on loads of games for free, like like just to get tapes to bring to you. And to, to, you, you've asked me to do everything and I've done it. And I'm talking about getting a college soccer game where there's 500 people in attendance. And uh, he just wouldn't give it to me. And he said, I wouldn't put your Irish accent on the air. And I said, okay, I, I, I was shaking, but again, I, I, I tried to stay as cool as possible and I thanked them. And I just said, 
you've been, it's the most honest you've ever been. So I went to the studio boss at the Big Ten Network. Sorry, there's, there's, there's a thing in, in TV, there's the studio side and then there's the remote side. So the remote side covers the live games on location. Then there's the TV studio side, which is the, the in-house studio. Yeah. So I went to my boss there, who's the most laid back guy in the world. And I walked in and said, uh, Q, Quinton is then Q. I said, Q, any chance at all, if I come in before my, my job, before my hours for free, if I could do the graphics, do the tapes, pr produce and present an online soccer show, would you be willing to, to let me do that if I could convince certain people to help me? And he was like, Dubs, I don't care what you do, man. Just don't get in the way. I was like, nice. Okay, good. So I ended up getting an opportunity and I convinced the director and a few camera friends to, to help me out. And I, I started this thing called the BTN Soccer Report. And it was probably terrible. Uh, I don't think it was that bad, actually. It was, it, was, it was okay, but it was a break. It was my first time on screen in America. And then sure enough, about a year later, the Chicago Fire MLS team uh, saw that and they said, you want to audition to be our sideline reporter? And one thing led to another. Got that, became an analyst. And then that led to, to, to be in sports in Miami, getting a job, hosting like El Clasico and US national team World Cup qualifiers. So yeah. Mad, it's just like... A roller coaster is probably the only way I can describe it, is it? Yeah, because it's over such a long period of time. When you tell these stories, sometimes it feels like a roller coaster. Um, the reality is, I never had the confidence. Like, I never believed when when I was back in RTE. If you would have said to me, "You're going to get a chance to host or to present on CNN internet," like, not a hope. You having a laugh? Never. Yeah. If you would have said to me, "You're going to get a chance to do TTV," I would have said never. I think it's from my mother's background where I just. I never had the confidence to, to believe that I could ever do anything on camera. And it's only when you're, you're, you're maybe you're doing something and someone else sees that potential. And then they say, you're, you're going to get a shot at this. And you're like, oh, geez, oh, no. And you worry. And now I've just gotten to the point where I'm like, throw anything at me. I'm ready because yeah. I'm, I'm sick of doubting myself. I, I think I'm good to go. And I'm with, with the hard work and a bit of belief, you can do anything. Yeah. I like even like say now, even when Richie was telling me, uh, tell me about how you got he, he gave me sort of a brief uh, a brief story of how you got over to America he's like oh you know you should get on to Kevin and, and like he stared out you know making teas and coffees in the RTE and, and then he, you know he's in America now listen to that story I was like jeez you know he stared off in RTE I got, must have got a lucky break and got, went to America but you've got so many you know you, you've got so many stories along the way and different jobs and different things and as you say it builds up and up and you're doing editing and then you're going on the sideline and then you're presenting and you're analyzing stuff like that but it really i'm telling you everything is luck the reality is like the reality is this you you, you can you can talk about hard work all you want right you've had to work hard along the way but a lot of people work hard there's a lot of people out there that work hard that don't get breaks I don't get as lucky. And I hate to bring this up now, to be honest with you, but I am, I am a, a privileged white male that happens to have gotten breaks. And there's certain people I'm sure that maybe did listen to my accent and say, actually, he'd be, he'd be decent in that position. Um, if I was born in, on the streets of New Delhi or I was born in Lagos, Nigeria, I guarantee you the path to presenting football in America would be an awful lot more difficult than it would for a, 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 you know, this white guy who has a passport uh, for the US that lives in Dublin. So yeah. realistically, I, I've, been, I've been very, very lucky the entire way through. Um, and I think when you get that little bit of luck, then it's about capitalizing on it and it's about not messing up and also being incredibly grateful the entire time 
for those breaks. Um, but but I've definitely been lucky, no question. Yeah. So so at the at this moment, um, is the MLS back? I haven't actually kept any bit of tracking it myself. Is the MLS back now? Well, funny enough, the tournament name is MLS is back. That's the name of the tournament that's starting on July eighth, and right, yeah. they're you know everyone's looking forward to it because you know we missed the game. However, Orlando and Florida in general is the epicenter of the coronavirus right now in the US. So they're the plan is to bring MLS teams into uh, into this worldwide sports, this ESPN Disney complex, and have all the games there and keep everybody in house. You're not allowed to leave. Um, the only concerns are that the, the, the hotel staff are allowed to leave. So they're a little bit worried about that. You know, certain clubs have had players test positive over the last few days and they're trying to limit this and trying to get this, this tournament to go ahead. And I, I'm concerned because, you know, I, I see the growth of this virus in the U.S. And I see that, that there's a lack of leadership um, and the country's as divided as it's ever been. It's more divided than it's ever been. And I look at Ireland right now and five cases yesterday, zero deaths, and everybody's, everybody's swimming in the same direction. And it's inspirational, to be honest, being abroad and looking at home right now and seeing everybody working so hard to get rid of this and eradicate it. And then yeah. over here, the numbers are growing in the state that I live in. Yeah, like some people might say that, let's say like in Leo Varadkar's case, he has... He is in control of a, a smaller amount of people. But at the same time, you, you're like Sir Boris Johnson, you're, you're Donald Trump. So these guys have more power than the likes of Leo Varadkar would have. So, you know, there's kind of there's pluses and minuses in terms of why they should be, why one country should be doing better or the same as the other in terms of getting back on track. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the biggest differences for me is that a health issue hasn't really been transformed into a political issue. In Ireland, whereas it certainly has in the US and it has in, in the UK as well, um, and and it shouldn't be a political issue. You know, there's there's what is there 120 over 120,000 people have died in the US from the coronavirus, and the numbers are on the rise in in Georgia and Florida. It's Florida is it's insane right now. So I love the fact that whatever you feel about Leo Varadkar and whatever you feel about Irish politics, I feel it's been parked for the benefit of everybody within the country. And it's a, it's a massive bravo to everybody in Ireland. Yeah, because I'm not sure if I'm right in saying this, but I heard on the radio earlier on today that Michal Martin, who's the leader of Fianna Fáil, will be, he'll be Taoiseach soon, and then Varadkar's going to take over again. They're going in as a, as a coalition. And oh, wow. it's, not, it's not like there's a big thing being made about that. You know, As you said, the political side of things is just being parked, and it's just about the good of the country at the moment. And yeah, it, is, it's, it is, when you see... When you see how things are going in America, you see how things are going in England, it shows, I suppose, how well it, it is actually being run over here in, in times like this. Mm -hmm. No, very true. Very true. Here's hoping we can all get through it and get back to work soon. Hope to God, yeah. Hope to God is right. Um, so you're saying the MLS is returning soon um, and that'll be you back to work. You've had, a good, you've had a good while off now, I'm sure. Have you been doing stuff online or... Yeah, I, I, I'm doing a little bit of stuff for, I don't know if you know what the ICC is, International Champions Cup. Uh, they, the company that bring over all the big teams to North America and around the world, actually, for the summer tournaments. The likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Man United will be here in America. Yeah. And that they're all ICC tournaments. So I've been, I'm the host for them as well. So that's, I'm doing some stuff from home. Uh, and then I'm launching my own, I haven't said this publicly yet, but I'm launching my own show on July 1st called Kick It Back. And, uh, Kicking Back is essentially very similar to what you're doing right here. It's, it's kind of casual conversations 
and I've had I've been fortunate enough to have brilliant guests on the likes of Robbie Keane and Christian Vieri of late and also people from within the football realm like impressionists um, biggest influencers in the EA and gaming community uh, you know the, the biggest transfer guru out there the one that breaks all the news so it's, it's hopefully going to be a very interesting show for anybody who's interested in the world of football and everything else um, yeah check it out July 1st yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to myself because obviously you said this is the first you've you've said to anybody publicly about it. So um, I'm looking forward to it. And just on, I suppose, football, I, uh, I had sent out um, on Instagram, as I do every week when there's a podcast, I send out questions, or a, sorry, a blank sheet, I suppose you could say, and give people a chance to ask questions, to, whether it be yourself, whether it be Roberto Wallace the other day as well, uh, a few guys like that, so... I suppose you've answered a lot of them in terms of your journey to getting to America. But there's one that stood out for me. Um, I actually saw it on your Instagram. You've, you've been lucky to, to in- interview and, I suppose, be on a panel with some, of, some big names in football. Um, and if you were to make a five-a-side team out of all the people you've interviewed, would you be able to whittle it down to five? Oh, wow. All right, five-a-side team... Can I can I be part of the five aside team? Can we do, can we make it a six aside team and just put me in goal? How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. Um, all right, so five more. I would have to say, all right, let's see. Um, at the back, I'd go with Nesta. Um, Nesta, I still think I still think for for some strange reason he's actually underrated because he came through just after Franco Baresi and Paolo Maldini yeah. was at the same time. Yeah. Nesta was the best tackler I've ever seen. Uh, reading the games for Sublime. Uh, so Nesta. I'd say just in front of Nesta, I'd, I'd probably play uh, Rude Hullet. Um, on the right, you'd fit David Beckham in, I think. Uh, let's see. Two, two more. So I've got Christian Vieri, Bobo Vieri, who's the most expensive transfer at the turn of the millennium um, in the yeah. world. You know, an amazing career. He's, he's up there, potentially. Raul, Patrick Kluivert. Uh, Let's see. Did I, did I see you at Kaka one time as well? Yeah, Kaka, I suppose, would have to be there. Kaka, Kaka. So we'll go, how about this? We'll go Nesta, Hullet in the middle, Beckham on the right, Kaka on the left. And, oh man. Vieri. I think Vieri. Vieri's a ball player. Raul, Raul would be excellent in a five side team, though. Yeah. That's why it's something we. Something I do on the podcast is actually with a lot of the GA, um, whether it be football or hurling, we've actually only had one hurler on so far. But uh, with a lot of the footballers, they'll make 15 of the best they've played with and put themselves in it. And nice. I usually throw that up on Instagram after. So I'll do a bit of a, uh, it's called my 15. So I suppose we'll put it my six. <laughs> my <laughs> six. We, should, we could fit one more in because seven aside sounds better, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my seven aside, you could probably put in. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of there's definitely other people that I'm just not thinking of off the top of my head uh, that who else did you see anyone else that, that stand out a few um, I suppose even even in recent times in the MLS um... MLS yeah David, David Villa could be there for sure um, I would I would I would probably go with Raul alongside Vieri up front Kaká on the left Beckham on the right, Ruud Hullet in the middle with Nesta protecting me and goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Sounds good. Did you get to actually meet all of them, interview them yeah, in person? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I interviewed all of them, yeah, separately. Like, Bobo Vieri became, he's a friend and we'd go for dinner and he's got a daughter, same age, roughly as my son. And um, it, it was so cool because he's such a good guy and uh, he's the type though that needs to earn, you need to earn his trust in a way. And, and I w- I'd be hosting the shows and he'd be the analyst. So we got to know each other quite well. And I'd always try and help okay. him out. And he'd help me out. And he's just, he's such an amazing character. Like he's, he's been like the biggest celebrity in Italy during the whole coronavirus. Cause he's just so funny. And, um, he's a laugh, you know, I was in charge of picking a restaurant one night and this is part of the podcast that I'll, I'll release with, with Bobo and I on July 1st. And I was in charge of picking a restaurant for a bunch of us to go for dinner. The first time I met his wife, uh, Mar- Marcello Lippi's son, Davide was there as well. And we all went to right. dinner. I picked, I picked a Southern, Southern food restaurant, like schoolboy error. Imagine picking <laughs> fried, fried chicken for a lot of Italians. Yeah. It just, it just didn't go down well. <laughs> yeah. You're probably thinking if I pick an Italian, it might not be the right one as well. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so no i i unfortunate enough to, to 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 interview all of them um all of them really nice and it's just do you know what's so cool is when you get to chat to someone that you've looked up to your entire life i should geez i should probably put robbie Keane in there actually too yeah in irish do you know what swap out uh, if you could do a bench of raul and clivert and uh, a couple others put robbie Keane yeah. in front alongside bobo because the two of them are good friends from their days of Inter.